As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. On March the 7th, 2021, Rangers were confirmed as Scottish champions for the first time since 2011. A decade of strife, recriminations and collapse had all been working up to this moment. But in the end, it was pretty easy. Rangers hadn't just won the title, they had crushed the rest of the competition. Celtic's 0-0 draw with Dundee United, the result that mathematically sealed their rival's victory, was simply confirmation of something that had been obvious for months. And that is that at Tannadice. But it's not about Dundee United and Celtic now. It's about Rangers. So how did they do it? How did Rangers go from trailing in the wake of Celtic to such utter dominance? I'm your host, Ailey Barber, and this is Beyond the Headline, the fall and rise of Rangers. If you're going to do it, I'd go with Stephen. Even in the dying embers of that game, I, I couldn't quite believe it was going to happen. Everybody in Scotland was talking about 10 at the start of the season and the only number they're now talking about is 55. Part 4. Champions. Let's take you back to May the 4th 2018. That was the day Steven Gerrard was appointed as the 16th permanent manager of Rangers. His task was a big one, amplified by the result of the Old Firm game the previous weekend. Celtic's 5-0 win at Parkhead confirmed their seventh successive league title. But when, when the call came off Liverpool with the opportunity to speak to Rangers, it was a, a no-brainer for me. I got a different feeling in my stomach from the, the previous opportunities opportunities I'd had in terms of being a number one manager. Um, so yeah, you know, there was a lot of things to think about, but from that phone call I got a special feeling and the new Rangers was for me. The appointment was inevitably viewed as something of a gamble because this was Gerard's first job as a manager. His only previous experience had been a season coaching Liverpool's under-18s. It was a very bold appointment and I don't think many people saw it coming. That's Emma Dodds, presenter for Rangers TV. Celtic were in the throes of a lot of success. The Rangers could not 
make a mistake when it came to, to replacing Pedro Cachinha. And um, when Steven Gerrard was unveiled, it, it was bold, it was brave. And yeah, I think it raised an awful lot of eyebrows. At this point in their rebuild, Rangers absolutely could not afford another mistake. The idea of appointing someone with no experience wouldn't have seemed like the brightest move. So why Gerard? There's a number of candidates who had come forward and applied for the job. Dave King was Rangers chairman in 2018. He was the man charged with the responsibility of choosing the manager, along with then director of football, Mark Allen. And a lot of them had managed Premier League teams and had been fired. And okay, everyone gets fired. So being fired itself is not anything. But basically it was managers who who had some experience, who did numbers of jobs, you know, um, there's an ex-England manager in there. I mean, there's a lot of people with some experience, but when I looked at it, I thought, you know, none of them are really winners in the true sense of winning. I thought about Stephen, and then I spoke to Mark about it. I said, you know, Mark, I had a chat with Stephen, and we'd, we'd kind of laugh, joke, what you want to do, and you know, into management, maybe I'll give you a call one day type of thing. I thought, you know, maybe, Maybe we should do that. And then I sat with Mark and I said, look, what about bringing in an experienced guy? And Stephen, you know, Stephen ticked a lot of boxes in terms of character, attitude. Those characteristics which had helped Gerard to have the extraordinary playing career that we all know about had been evident from an early age. A winner. That's Stephen Warnock. He came through the ranks at Liverpool with Gerard and has known him for nearly 25 years. Someone who expected high high performance, sort of high levels. The training had to be spot on. You couldn't be late or you couldn't you couldn't slack. If you did, you were you were you you knew about it because of the standards he was trying to set to make sure that everyone sort of followed suit. The problem was was that his levels were above everyone else and no one could reach his levels at times. And and that was I suppose at times it would have been frustrating to him. But yeah, you could see the day in, day out the quality of training was was next level. Characteristics like that don't necessarily make a great manager, but they were important for anyone to cope with the intense scrutiny that comes with the goldfish bowl that is the Rangers' job. Dave King. I think about Stephen is, I really felt I knew him in a sense that I, I kind of watched him growing up. Um, I'm a big Liverpool fan. I remember his debut. And, and, and you kind of get a sense that I think I kind of knew him and I knew his characteristics. I'd seen him in the media, handling the media. I'd seen him having highs in the media and lows in the media. Even so, this was a man who had never managed in senior football before, never mind managed in such a high-pressure environment. So King called on someone who knew Gerard better than most for advice, Kenny Dalgleish. So the only issue really with Stephen, he ticked every single box except for experience. Whereas all the other guys who had experience but didn't take a lot of the boxes in terms of winning, in terms of mentality. And that's why I ended up speaking to Kenny. And Kenny says, it's a hell of a brave decision to go with a guy who hasn't managed before. He says, but if, you, if you're going to do it, I'd go with Stephen. I wouldn't say it's a gamble because, you know, Papara management is leadership and qualities. And Stephen had that in abundance. So I really felt the lack of previous, say, top-level management wasn't, it was a negative. It, it, was, it wasn't a major, major, major negative in my mind. I just felt the person and the character, the qualities he would bring to the situation, the credibility he'd bring to the situation, to the club, was something that was a game-changer. And, and, and none of the other appointments were game-changers. To mitigate against Gerard's lack of experience, Gary McAllister was appointed as his assistant. 
a man who had been a huge influence on Gerard as a player and who came with 16 years of coaching under his belt. Here's Stephen Warnick explaining why McAllister was such a key appointment. But Gary is, again, a football fanatic, a huge studier of the game, hugely enthusiastic in and around the building, someone who you can turn to and chat to. And he is... He's, He's someone that Stephen probably needs to calm him down at times and just to bring him back down a little bit at the right time. Because Gary's been in the job himself. It didn't perhaps work out for him how he wanted to when he went to Leeds and the spells that he had as manager. But he's been in them he's been in them shoes. He understands what the requirements are. And sometimes you need that experience outside to just give you that perspective on things and just to have a little look at things and maybe step back. Gerard also did his best to surround himself with coaches who could relieve some of the burden, such as Michael Beale, who he brought with him from Liverpool, as Gerard explained on the Robbie Fowler podcast. What I'll never do is try and do someone else's job better than them who's better than me at doing that job. Um, I, I'd been working on a coaching team behind the scenes when I was the manager of Liverpool's under-18s and 19s for some time. People wouldn't believe how close I was watching certain people to take with me when the opportunity eventually came. Um, now, I haven't had the luxury of retiring early uh, from the game or not being a player in terms of having that pitch time and to really become a coach who's coached for 20 years, i.e., a Brendan Rodgers, a Mourinho, a, a Michael Beale, who's my first team coach here. Now, it'd take me 15, 20 years to get as good as Michael Beale as an on-pitch coach to deliver sessions on a, on a daily basis. So I let Mick be Mick Beale. Gerard certainly made a good first impression. I loved his first few press conferences as well because it was you could see how seriously he was taking this. Hayley McQueen is a broadcaster for Sky Sports and co-host of the Offside Rule podcast. And how seriously he understood about what the fans wanted to see from Rangers in the future. And, and he had a big job ahead, of course, trying to you know get rid of a few players at Rangers who hadn't quite made it. There was still a big old mess left from, from Kashinia and a lot of the changes that he made when he came in. And Gerard had a lot of tidying up to do, I think, but very much backed by the board. One great thing I think about bringing Gerard in was was the contacts that he had, and a name, of course, can attract names to a club. And you look at so many of those that he's managed to bring in, either on loan or, or signings. And I think that is down to purely just um, the Gerard effect. That was part of King's motivation when it came to choosing Gerard. And I also felt that he would allow us to attract a different quality of player, and that was my concern. If we bring in another manager who's got his own type of players and it didn't work out, we've blown the budget again on transfer fees. So I was more confident that even if for some reason Stephen didn't work out as a manager, he would bring in the right type of players in any event. It was a masterstroke in the sense that Stephen Gerrard brings with him his own reputation. He brings with him his own publicity. Emma Dodds. Rangers were trying to become a more attractive proposition overseas again. They were trying to become a more attractive proposition for players on the pitch and they were trying desperately to achieve success once again and Stephen Gerrard with his pedigree as a player with the way he'd gone about his business in the academy at Liverpool had clearly impressed um, you know he has a stature even as a player you know as a coach he has a stature uh, and with that um, you know when he walks in the room you know heads do turn. Heads certainly did turn but the danger of appointing someone as famous as Gerrard could be that they were well just a bit too famous. The Athletics Rangers correspondent Jordan Campbell tells us how he wasn't just a big star to the fans, 
but also to those who donned the Rangers blue. The, the first week, you know, I was told the, the message to the players was, you know, I know you're going to be nervous because, you know, I think some players were a bit starstruck when they were having sort of the first one-to-one conversations. And, you know, this is Steven Gerrard, after all, who, for many of the players who were in their early 20s, was, you know, they grew up idolising him. So it must be a bit surreal when you see him standing in front of you judging you as a player. So I think he tried to relax the nerves almost by saying, well, we're a new coaching team as well. So we've got to prove to you that we're going to help take the club forward. In July 2018, Gerrard's tenure began and it had a shaky start. Rangers only won one of his first four games in charge, although they were hampered by having to go through eight Europa League qualifying games before the domestic season got going. But throughout the season, there were signs of progress. They beat Celtic at Ibrox, Gerrard getting one over on his old manager Brendan Rodgers. They signed players that would go on to form the core of the title-winning side, like Conor Goldson and Glenn Kamara. Jermaine Defoe came in initially on loan and Alan McGregor, the veteran goalkeeper, returned to the club, having left in 2012. Alfredo Morelos established himself as a star, scoring 30 goals, even if he was a red card magnet, the first of which came just 12 minutes into Gerrard's opening league game. Far side assistant, brings proceedings to a halt. Oh, a red card. And off the ball incident, Alfredo Morelos looks on anxiously, wondering what's happened. But ultimately, despite Rogers leaving in the second half of the season for Leicester, Celtic still won the title by nine points, and Rangers didn't win any silverware. The club, though, were always insistent that the Stephen Gerrard project would be a long-term one. Dave King. He agreed, and, and we, we agreed he needed a number of transfer windows, and he went about it very, very methodically, didn't get frustrated when things weren't going his way from the beginning, just said, I've got a plan. Gerard explained to the media recently about those early days. The first year, uh, the remit was to try and get some pride back, some belief, um, connect everyone at the club and, you know, try and show that we can close the gap um, in terms of Celtic and also show everyone that we've got a way of playing that has got potential. In the second year, it was to try and compete, try and win a trophy um, and try and, you know, compete for, for the title. And um, obviously the bumps in the road felt a little bit more painful in the second year because the, the, you're into the job a little bit more. There's more pressure, there's more expectation. There's a lot of progress, a lot of good results and performances. And there were further signs that things were heading in the right direction, that Gerard was forming a real team around him. Ahead of the 2019-20 season, Joe Aribo came in. Ryan Kent was signed on a permanent deal after spending the previous season on loan. Stephen Davis, a key member of their last title-winning team, did likewise. The high point of that season came in December, when Rangers won at Celtic Park for the first time since 2010, sparking wild celebrations. That noise at the end there? You probably remember it. Stephen Gerrard screaming into the camera, unable to hide his passion. That win also cut the gap at the top of the table to just two points. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. But their form fell away and the Nadir came in February with back-to-back defeats that left many questioning whether he would, or even should, go on. First, they lost 1-0 to Hearts in the Scottish Cup. Then, a few days later, they lost 1-0 at home to bottom of the table Hamilton. The few fans that remained in Ibrox until the full-time whistle made their feelings known. That defeat left them 13 points behind Celtic. Any faint hopes of overhauling their rivals in the league, gone. And those two defeats meant a second trophyless season, making Gerrard the first Rangers manager in 68 years to go two seasons without winning a thing. Would he stay on? Would the club want him to stay on? Plenty of fans had lost patience, certainly. I think it definitely did have that, you know, just coming back to the the Tynecastle, uh, fresh room, it definitely did have that end of days feel to it. And then especially a few days later when you know you, you walk in and you're waiting for them to walk in after they've just lost one 0 to Hamilton despite having, you know, nearly three thousand shots on goal. Um it was he just looked downbeat, downtrodden, um, and was basically admitting that he was he was trying everything. He was saying he would keep going, but at that hearts game he, you know, he wasn't exactly convincing that he still Thought that he could, um, he could get any more out of his players. So I think it was only natural to, to see that sort of self doubt and 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 read into uh, into his words. But then COVID nineteen happened. The Scottish season was suspended, then eventually abandoned. Celtic had won the title, but Gerrard and Rangers were afforded the time and headspace to take stock. In that period, unusually team togetherness appeared to improve. Regular Zoom calls kept everyone talking and individual groups of defenders, midfielders and forwards had long discussions about how they would improve. The time away from football allowed the players to train differently, so by the time they returned to group training in June, many were noticeably stronger and more muscular. What lockdown did and what the break from the game did was enable us to re-energise, reset, regroup and analyse everyone and everything at the club and that's what we did we we worked non-stop um, on zoom calls and individual meetings and unit meetings and staff meetings to make sure that we came into this season so focused and so yeah. ready for every single challenge that came our way but while things seemed to be clicking behind the scenes all the talk at the start of the season 
was about just one thing. So Celtic 10 in a row is probably going to happen. Great for Celtic. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, they're never ever going to lose a league title again, probably. It looked inevitable that Celtic would beat one of Rangers' proudest records. Yeah, I think it was definitely Celtic for 10 in a row, and especially with Neil Lennon coming back in. Hayley McQueen. Doing really well with the club and, and him wanting that as well. Obviously, somebody who has a great affiliation with the club, loves the club, fans love him. He didn't want it to go wrong. He was hell-bent on making sure that, you know, there was that 10 in a row and then pushing on defending that as well. But Rangers started the season brilliantly, keeping seven consecutive clean sheets. Club captain James Tavernier went on an implausible run of scoring from right back, notching up 17 goals in all competitions by December. This is the Rangers captain. Oh, wonderful strike from James Tavernier. By the first old firm fixture in October, they had taken 26 points from a possible 30. And it was that game at Celtic Park which showed something special was happening. Arfield, Morelos, drilled by Arfield, Connor Goldson looking to score again, and he has scored again! And Rangers are in such a good place now! 2-0 up at Celtic Park, they are in control on Derby Day! Jordan Campbell. I mean, there's probably a couple. I think the first one where you thought, I mean, this, this seems like the real deal, was probably as early as October when... You know, Rangers and Celtic were neck and neck. They both made a great start, first 10 games, and it was probably the most comfortable 2 0, you're likely to see in an away old firm game. So that was the real sort of just how easy it was and how little fight Celtic showed. I thought that was a real, you know, sort of took, took you back slightly. That win put Rangers four points clear of Celtic, but by the time the two teams next met in the New Year derby, the gap had widened to 16 points although Celtic did have three games in hand. I think the point that most Rangers fans collectively thought that is going to happen now was the New Year's Day game and the win against Celtic. Findlay Marks, Rangers fan and writer. Because Rangers were not great in that game. Uh, it was actually a reversal of what had happened at Parkhead where Rangers failed to register a shot on target but still find a way to win the game. And... Yeah, I, I think for me that was probably the one point where you're like, it's it's unassailable now. I don't think they're going. I don't think Celtic are going to catch Rangers. There were other signposts along the way. Not only were they winning or drawing games that they might have lost in previous seasons, but they were overcoming mental hurdles too. Jordan Campbell. The next big game probably came after they lost the League Cup quarterfinal to St Mirren because again people were thinking, is this going to be the start of a collapse? How they're going to react to this, their nerves are going to creep them. And then they obviously went 1 0 down to Mullerwell in the first five minutes at Ibrox and struggled for the next hour to try and get back on level terms. Introduced Hadji and Aribo, and the game changed in the 1 3 1. I think that was a, a massive moment um, just to reassure them and relax them still um, that they were on the right track. It helped that Celtic imploded, lurching from crisis to crisis that ultimately led to Neil Lennon leaving in February. But Rangers have been so dominant that they would have won this title even if they were facing a competent Celtic. So what changed this season? What clicked for Rangers to take them from a team that nobody thought could overhaul Celtic to one that won the title earlier than anyone else before? Probably his greatest success is he's installed a winning mentality in the team. That's JJ Bull, a tactics expert and co-host of the Totally Scottish Football Show. Losing is not acceptable. 
even like a poor performance in a 1-0 win is not acceptable and you cultivate that over time that's not something you can instantly put into a team a new manager arrives you don't suddenly have that he's had to go in and construct this team and he's done that by bringing in that players like um, Arfield and um, Defoe and, and people with a good track record a good standard of, of playing at a certain level and training at a certain level and when you create that and you've got players like Tavernier and Goldson who are leaders and uh, winners that helps the team become stronger as a unit. What's also clear, and you may have spotted this too, is that Gerard has grown as a man and as a manager this season. Emma Dodds. I've noticed a massive change in him personally off the field in the past 12 months or so. He's a lot more measured. He doesn't get too high, he doesn't get too low. So clearly his own personal journey as a manager has grown and evolved over the time he's been at Rangers. Gerard outlined his own managerial philosophy on the Robbie Fowler podcast. We have a culture and we have a set of non-negotiables and everyone lives by them. And obviously in my head, I want to play a certain way, which is to have a really tough team to play against, really aggressive team, really organised. We move around the pitch together and we own the pitch. And obviously you want to play in a style where the fans get entertained and you score goals and you're creative and, and all this. That's how you see it in your head. But what happens if you're playing a team for example, like Porto or Benfica, who've got more expensive players than you, players with more experience, players who, you know, maybe player for player are operating on a different level than you. You know, I can't go and approach that game the way I'd approach, for example, a game at home against the team at the bottom of the league in the SPL. So it's having, having a philosophy and a way of playing and how you want it to look, but also being able to adapt from game to game to what that game needs. So it's all built on a strong defensive foundation. JJ Bull. They're just full of good players, which really helps. But tactically, they are very astute. They are uh, they adapt depending on their opponent. And when you have the better players, you should win games anyway. But the way that they are set up to not allow the teams to even get at them means that when they do eventually get their goal, they're not going to concede again. And sure enough, like Celtic have fallen apart. But I wonder how much of that is being knocked off balance by Rangers rocketing ahead of them. Just when you speak to people across the board, they've just raised standards. Jordan Campbell. So, you know, even if it's just coming into the training ground, I think he was pretty strong and that he didn't think it was up to scratch. Um, whether that was, you know, just touching on a couple of things in the piece, whether it was the pitch getting relayed to be made hybrid, the changing rooms being remodelled, the gym being upgraded, an analysis room being annexed onto the first team changing room. Canteen was even changed the layout because it used to be sort of this one long line of tables and it was more communal now so apparently players now even socialise in it because it's just a more a space where they want to be and I think that can only help with, with team spirit In the end after a decade of struggle climbing up from the very bottom and the depths of despair title number 55 was won pretty easily You always imagined when Rangers if they were to get the next title of the were to stop 10 in a row it would be it, it would be like this dramatic final day, something like Helicopter Sunday where everybody's, you know, nails would be getting bitten and your heart would be pumping, but it's literally been so sort of easy street. On Saturday, March the 6th, Rangers cruised to a 3-0 victory over St Mirren, putting them on 88 points. At this point, even if Celtic won all the remaining games and Rangers lost theirs, it would still take an implausible reversal in goal difference for Rangers to be overhauled. The title wasn't officially won, but the players celebrated like it was. 
Emma Dodds was there at Ibrox that day for Rangers TV. Arriving to the stadium, there, there was an excitement around the place and, and obviously something that we haven't seen for, for over a year now, given the, the COVID restrictions. But, you know, the fact that today could be the day meant that a lot of Rangers fans woke up on Saturday with, with a, an optimism and an excitement that they hadn't felt for quite some time. You could tell at full time that the players were in party mode. Some fans were still gathered outside the, the stadium gates, so the, the players ran off the pitch again. Something that we're not used to seeing at the moment, so seeing that emotion from the players, um, you know, was quite special actually, because I hadn't really anticipated it. I thought that the celebrations might have been reserved for Sunday, but as we as we saw on Saturday night, they more, more than enjoyed themselves in the home dressing room, celebrating with some of the fans outside the windows uh, and obviously celebrating massively with each other, enjoying the, a small party that they had just for the players in the dressing room. Even the most taciturn members of the squad cut loose. Alfredo Morelos, we're so used to seeing him with the sullen face and sulking around. And for the first time in a long, long time, you saw him really at the heart of a lot of the celebrations. Quite often when you see the squad together, he, he's on his own, he quite likes his own company, but he was right in the middle of it. He, he was, you know, taking photographs of the fans outside the window. Uh, he also did a post-match interview in English, which uh, having been following Rangers professionally since the uh, since Stephen Gerrard took charge, since uh, Pedro Cascina brought uh, Alfredo Morales and I've never ever done an interview with him and never even heard him speak in English. Yeah, very happy today. Yeah the team uh, 100% very very happy for the <laughs> very happy then a day later Celtic drew 0-0 with Dundee United and the title was officially confirmed it's about Rangers the day has come the day is here the wait is over Rangers are champions of Scotland and Celtic have rubber-stamped it for them by failing to win here. Even in the dying embers of that game, I, I couldn't quite believe it was going to happen. Finlay Marks. Like, it didn't feel real. And even hearing the, the full-time whistle go, it wasn't until, you know, Sky Sports changed the, the little footer at the bottom of the screen, which was full-time score, Dundee United nil, Celtic nil, Rangers are champions. And it was just so peculiar to see in the bottom corner because it's been so long since since that's happened. Yeah, it was just a, a wash of uh, happiness and joy. That, that was the initial feeling, like a real unbridled happiness, which as the afternoon wore on, kind of there were little pockets of uh, emotion, I think, just as it all started to sink in. It's been an incredible few days. The weekend was uh, special. Uh, creating history, such a historic year for the club and um, I, I'd never want to compare anything I, I do as a manager to my Liverpool days because I wouldn't change them for the world. Liverpool's in my heart, everyone knows that, but this was right up there. Uh, it was a special time and um, it was just absolutely fantastic. Very difficult to put into an interview or into words. It was, it was a phenomenal few days. So what now? This has been a phenomenal achievement and a phenomenal season. But given the state of disarray that Celtic are in, looking for a new manager and with several players at crossroads, there is an opportunity for many more years of dominance. Could this be the start of something special? Emma Dodds. I would definitely say so. What Rangers have managed to achieve in, in their uh, two and a half years so far under Stephen Gerrard is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, and this is very much a long-term plan. There is a structure in place now at Rangers where everything 
is right that it had been wrong for for so many years and everything is now right and regardless of who the manager is I feel that off the field um, the process will be exactly the same when somebody else comes in that you know everything will work together uh, and it's all built around bringing more success to the club. Hayley McQueen. He's been such a positive for not just Rangers but for Scottish football and the way that Scottish football is seen. I'm hoping that other managers will, of course, take heed from what he has done and follow suit and maybe go up to Scotland and try their hand up there now. Of course, there is the spectre of Gerard leaving at some stage. For the job, he has made no secret of coveting. I mean, I think everyone knows what Gerard wants to do. <laughs> JJ Bull. Funnily enough, his contract at Rangers ends on the same day, I think, as Jurgen Klopp's expires at Liverpool. But that's purely coincidence. I think both parties have got exactly what they want out of this just now. Gerard has proven that he knows how to assemble like a backroom team and a team on the pitch that can... Like, he's achieved his goals, basically. He's won the league. I, I, I don't know how much longer he'll be at Rangers, but you'd think he'd want to do another season, at least. But, um, yeah, I mean, if Liverpool were to phone now, I suspect he'd take it. Like, <laughs> on Wednesday afternoon, he'd be like, yeah, OK. And even if he does leave tomorrow, his legacy will be secure, as lifelong Rangers fan Ross McAdam explains. There's a whole pile of uh, banners that have gone up around Glasgow um, on bus stops and things like that uh, recently that, that just simply say, you know, Stephen Gerrard, legend in Liverpool, God in Glasgow. Um, and, and I think that sums it up. You know, you know, I've seen a lot of good, good Rangers teams over, over the last 20 years, and this one's up there with the best of them. I can safely say that Gerard's place in, in Rangers history is there, but I certainly hope he's still here for, for another two, three, four years. Dave King, though, believes Gerard is in for the long haul. And Stephen has been absolutely steadfast in this slow, continuous improvement. Getting the right people in, looking at his squad, saying this guy can work that kind of, he's a good player, but, you know, you know, gives the ball away, head goes down, you know, type of thing. He, he's looking for quality and character in his players, not just technical ability, power and pace. He's looking for quality. And he's been very, very disciplined and patient and thorough and, and relentless in his ongoing quest to keep on improving at the club. And I think we've seen it this season, and I think next season will be again. He, he won't rest on what he does this season. He'll move on and he'll move on. So he, he's a winner. It's someone that just wants to make the club better and better. Gerard's legacy is secure. He will forever be remembered as the man who completed their journey back from the abyss. Here's Andrew Slaven, presenter of the Totally Scottish Football Show. Celtic achieved nine in a row for the second time in their history, and that is an amazing feat. But just like in 1997, when Celtic stopped Rangers' hunt for 10, Stephen Gerrard will be remembered for the manager, just like Wim Janssen was remembered for Celtic. Steven Gerrard will be remembered as the manager who led Rangers to stopping 10 in a row and to achieving the 55 that Rangers fans have so desperately wanted for such a long time. We'll leave the last word to Gerrard himself. I'm hoping I go on to achieve many more things as a manager, but um, I'll be surprised if I can go to many more higher places because to come into this job, the size of the challenge and the task and um, the journey that we've been on is nearly three years now. In the year that we've done it, I think you'd have to be in this job, in my shoes, part of this club to realise the size and the pressure and responsibility on this season to make it a success. When we actually got it done and over the line was 
was right up there alongside the, the high of, of winning as a player. I want more. Um, the feeling of getting the, the title of the line has made me even more hungry and determined to add to that in, in the short and medium term. And who knows what comes after that? And I, I, I know that, that that's a question that you have seen me answer um, in previous interviews and stuff, and I don't want to add to any headlines. I think enough's been said on it. But I've got goals and targets and aims internally that I want to try and strive to achieve. This is the final parts of Beyond the Headline, the fall and rise of Rangers. All four parts are available to listen to now and ad-free via The Athletic app. If you're not already a subscriber, then go to theathletic.com forward slash beyond to claim your sign-up offer. The fall and rise of Rangers was produced by Abby Patterson. The episodes were written by Ian McIntosh and Nick Miller. The executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Ian McIntosh.